It's a Christmas movie. No, it's not. <laughs> it came out on December 19th. Of course it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> Stop it. If we're going by your logic. No, not my logic. <laughs> How dare you say that's my logic? Who's <laughs> the internet logic? Okay. God. All right. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we are having some fun now! I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 1986 movie musical, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh my god, guys! It's another musical! It's our wheelhouse! We're back, baby! It's a musical Valentine's Day, everybody! You know what? I think it's a love story. It is a love story! You know, Ma- Mare said she was like, I've never seen this movie. I thought it was just about a guy being tortured by a plant. <laughs> but there's love mixed in? Yes, there is, oh, Mare! Like Fifty Shades of Grey with Audrey Tuin. No! <laughs> and Seymour! Oh my god, can you imagine? <laughs> How creepy is that? It is! It <laughs> truly is. Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's in 2022. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little watch party. And don't forget, folks, we now have a Patreon. That's right, guys. That's right. We're going to be covering the Golden Girls as our first installment. We're diving in television. For just $5 you can go over to the Patreon and subscribe and get access to the Golden Girls content we've got coming up. We are now resurrecting bonus episodes and we're going to try to commit to at least two posts a month folks for just $5. Please. Absolutely. We would be honored if you folks came and supported us. $2.50 for some long form content? I mean come on. (laughs) And you get two of them. You get two of them. (laughs) All right. anything else you want to say before we get started okay the insanity of this production (laughs) is something we're gonna try not to focus solely on we're gonna try and get you through the content but we might tangent guys so (laughs) just be prepared for it there's so much to talk about you know sometimes i feel like the listeners uh, think we should tangent more (laughs) but then we'd have them for two hours i know and i don't think they have enough time for us i know and we understand that life is crazy life is busy but how are we supposed to live laugh love in these conditions right (laughs) you're right you're right you know how you live laugh love in these conditions how with little shop of horrors alan mankin and howard ashman let's get to it (laughs) It all began in this little shop. Ow! Damn roses! Where, strange as it seems, something extraordinary happened. I'm afraid it isn't feeling very well today. No, it's not. What kind of a weirdo plant is that, Seymour? Little Shop of Horrors, a story about a boy. I've given you sunlight. I've given you rain. Looks like you're not happy. Unless I open a vein. Such a weird play. A girl. You don't make a nice voice when you live on Skid Row, Mr. Mushnick. Seymour, this is my date, my boyfriend. A florist. I'm telling you, Audrey, he's not a good, clean kind of boy. He's a professional. You have a talent for causing pain. 
save it all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. And a plant. How am I supposed to keep on feeding you? Yes! Rick Moranis. Man's a total disgrace to the dental profession. Ellen Green. Excuse me. Excuse me what? That's better. Vincent Gardenia, with special guest appearances by Steve Martin, John Candy, and Bill Murray. It's your professionalism that I respect. Little Shop of Horrors. Calling all botanists and horticultural nerds. <laughs> Join us queers on the main stage. Because <laughs> yeah, we've got a show for you. Come one, come all <laughs> to this completely insane tale about how a small man who works in a plant shop. <laughs> small man. He is. He is. And I don't mean that as an insult. We'll continue. But how he brings life to a plant god from outer space. <laughs> like, it's wild. You know, they're thinking about remaking this. No, it's, really? It's been, on, it's been put on an indefinite postponement. Oh, okay. But at the same time, I'm kind of hoping it won't get made. We don't need another one. But now that I've said that, they're going to make it anyway. I know. Here's my thing. Like, if they're going to remake it, do the puppetry, you cowards. So if you don't know, folks, if you're purely a theater nerd and not a film nerd, you might not know that this movie musical is based off a movie from 1960 of the same name, Little Shop of Horrors. It's actually not of the same name, though. What? Because the one from 1960 is called The Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> you're right. This, you're and right. this one is called Little Shop of Horrors. Okay, fine. So not of exactly the same so, name. Male quibbling aside. <laughs> yes. This movie musical is based off a movie from 1960 called The Little Shop of Horrors. I'll have you all know that in 1960, the original script for Little Shop of Horrors took two weeks to write. They rehearsed it for three days using leftover sets from another movie and then shot the damn thing in two days. Talk about low budget. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Damn. It's like an old joke in Hollywood. About, but, about Little Shop of Horrors? Yeah, it took two days to make. It was Jack Nicholson's first movie. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. And then, like, it went on to become a stage musical in, like, 1982, I think. Early Mencken. Yeah, early Mencken. Early Mencken. Yeah, guys, we have... Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, like famed Disney composers and lyricists, mm -hmm. to thank for our soundtrack today. No wonder this fucking slaps so much. Like, I it's know! Alan Menken. <laughs> Come on! We love our man, Alan Menken. R.I.P. Howard. Yes. The adaptation of the stage musical, as in the content we're discussing today, was just supposed to be another turn it and burn it effort, right? Mm -hmm. Like, let's just try to make a quick profit. Let's see if we can turn it and burn it for six million. Indeed. And they ended up, by the end, spending around $25 million on this picture. 
at the time, it was the most expensive movie Warner Brothers had ever produced. That's insane to me. That surpasses Alien. That had a budget of $18 million. You're fucking kidding me. They spent more on Little Shop of Horrors than Alien? Yes, they did. Are you kidding me? I'm not. Eat your heart out, James Cameron. (laughs) (laughs) And as always, we have to talk about the director, Frank Oz. Frank, welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, buddy. Guys, Frank has been with us many times. He was with us when we covered The Dark Crystal, which is literally years ago at this point. I know. And then he was also with us when we covered uh, The Muppets Christmas Carol. It's a great episode. I love that, that's that episode. That's a quality episode, guys. If you, <laughs> if you want a break from current content, go back and listen to them up at Christmas Carol. Yeah, you got to get it on Podbean. But <laughs> aside from the disastrous prediction you made for the new year, um, it's a pretty good episode. <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> the audio that aged not well at all. <laughs> oh, my God. The thing that makes this movie this movie are the singers. Oh, absolutely. And the score, the music. And what makes this music this music, why this album is so good, is David Geffen. Absolutely. David Geffen produced some of the biggest artists of the 70s and 80s. He did Linda Rodstadt. He did Elton John. He did Diana Ross at one point. What a resume! I know. He's got some great voices in his resume. And did he exploit those artists? Probably. You know, as record producers do. Often, yes. But the network of David Geffen really helped to make this soundtrack sound like a mainstream successful soundtrack. He had that Rolodex baby. Yes, he did. He was the financial backer behind Cats. He knows what he's doing. And Dream Girls. <laughs> Folks, you might have guessed it, but we have names. Guys, today playing our hero, Seymour Krellborn, we have Rick Moranis. Please welcome him to his first appearance on Kicking and Streaming, folks. I I believe it is. Folks, he was big in the 80s. He had just made it big in Ghostbusters. He was also in Mel Brooks' Spaceballs. He was in Brother Bear. He's one of the moose. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's one of the brother moose. Brother moose. Bro- <laughs> brother moose. Moranissance. This is what I'm talking about. Brother moose. Let's do brother moose, but with the two moose brothers. <laughs> but bring Rick Moranis back. Oh my God. He's in the Shrunk Saga. Yeah, the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movies. <laughs> and the Flintstones. Yeah, he's Barney Rubble. I always forget about that. Playing Audrey today, like we said, we have Ellen Green. The only other thing that I can really find to note her on is she plays a character named Vivian on a show called Pushing Daisies. Her co-star is Swoozy Kurtz. That's right. Remember Swoozy? I do remember Swoozy. Oh, you know what? I lied. There is something else. Leon the Professional. Oh, yeah. She has a bit, bit role in that movie. I heard her actual speaking voice today. Oh, yeah? It's like night and day. Not her Audrey voice. No, not her Audrey voice. Is it like when Fran eats the wasabi and sounds like a, it doesn't sound like Fran anymore? Yeah, okay. exactly. She's not doing her Audrey voice? No. Her slight lisp and very <laughs> high-pitched. Frank called me up and I just screamed bloody murder. I was ecstatic. I originated it, but normally you don't get the film, and I knew that. But Frank let me fight for the film. Frank believed in me, 
David Geffen believed in me, and um, I had a wonderful time with Rick Moranis. Please welcome to Kicking and Streaming, Mr. Vincent Gardenia. <laughs> He's playing Mr. Mushnick today. I think it's so funny his last name's Gardenia. Yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> he uh, he was nominated for an Oscar. He was. Yeah, actually, no. Yeah, he was nominated a couple of times for Bang the Drum Slowly from 1973 and for Moonstruck, you know, with Cher yes! in 1987. He was Frank on All in the Family. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Vincent, we love you. He passed away like six years after this. Aww. I know. Please welcome the kicking and streaming. Someone I cannot believe has not been on the show until now. Mr. Stephen Glenn Martin. Oh my God. He's playing Orin Scrivello DDS today. DDS. Yeah, DDS. That's important. <laughs> and like, guys, Steve Martin at this point was one of the most successful comedians of the 70s and 80s. And Steve Martin, you guys will know recently from Only Murders in the Building, that show with Martin Short and Selena Gomez, which I can't even believe that's a sentence I'm saying. Indeed, indeed. Roxanne, The Jerk, The Pink Panther remakes. He, oh, not not the Pink Panther remakes. Hamburger. Hamburger. I hate it. <laughs> I hate that we both know what that is. <laughs> Guys, playing Audrey 2, The Plant today. <laughs> the Plant. The Plant. <laughs> We don't know what it is. So. <laughs> we don't know. I'm just calling him the plant. The plant. We have Levi Stubbs, the lead singer of the Four Tops. Guys, you've heard that song that goes, Sugar Pie Honey Bun. It's him! It's wild to me that that's the same man. His birth name is Levi Stubbles. I love that. <laughs> Guys, he's from the Four Tops. Yes, the lead singer of the Four Tops. You know what else we know? He's actually been on the show before and we didn't even know it. What? Yeah. Tell me. We did a little sequel film called Grease 2. <gasps> Of which the opening number is sung by the Four Tops. Oh my God, you're right. I want to go back. Mm. Back. Back to school again. The way you are blowing dust off my brain. Levi Stubbs. Oh my God. We didn't even know he'd been here. Folks, we have to talk about the real stars of the Little Shop of Horrors. The Greek chorus? The Greek chorus comprising... Tashina Arnold, Michelle Weeks, and Tisha Campbell. Crystal Ronette and Chiffon. Absolutely. Tashina and Tisha were on Martin together. Tashina Arnold is the mom from Everyone Hates Chris. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And Michelle Weeks isn't hyperlinked, so I don't know what she's in. <laughs> They're my favorite characters. They are my favorite characters as well. They are what give the film style. Indeed. So, so much so that, like, guys, they are the best singers in the film. <laughs> they are. Some of their songs, I'm just like, how do they be carrying that tune? <laughs> Didn't we have this same conversation during Hairspray? What? About the dynamites. What about the dynamites? The, how... other, the other black Greek chorus in yeah. Hairspray? And how they carry that soundtrack? I love a black Greek chorus. You know where else we get a black Greek chorus? Where? Hercules. Oh, my God! Quite literally a black Greek chorus. You're right! And you know what? I love it when some black women... Come to tell me about some foolishness. <laughs> and that is what we're doing today. we That is what we're doing today. Absolutely. <laughs> some honorable mentions before we get started. 
We have Jim Belushi back. We will skate over that. (laughs) I promise you. He was with us in Jingle All the Way. We have John Candy. He was with us in Home Alone. Indeed. We also have Christopher Guest. He's been with us before. He was, uh, what, the guy with no thumbs? No. (laughs) Or what's his name? The Six-Fingered Man. (laughs) (laughs) The guy with no thumbs. Yes, he was the Six-Fingered Man from Princess Bride. And then we have Bill Murray. God, why? (laughs) We can't skate over that, but like, I'd like to. He was with us in Space Jam. And then we also have Miriam Margulies. Professor Sprout! (laughs) From the 80s! (laughs) From the 80s? Not Professor Sprout from the 80s, (laughs) but Miriam Margulies. Like, my God. And she's Sponge in James of the Giant Peach, which we have to do. I know. Ugh. All right, guys. Happy Valentine's Day. Are you ready? You ready for this scene? Are you ready to hear about love and terrorism? Oh, no. Oh, my God. Opening vamp with the timpani? Oh, I know. We are here at the theater, baby. Oh, yeah. We are absolutely here. We are being greeted by a narrator with the Star Wars text crawl. A very stylistic of the 80s. I'm loving it. Very stylistic. They're really pulling you in. On the 23rd day of the month of September, in an early year of a decade, not too long before our own, the human race suddenly encountered a deadly threat to its very existence. And this terrifying enemy surfaced, as such enemies often do, in the seemingly most innocent and unlikely of places. These ladies are getting down, and they're not even really, they're just standing on people's fire escapes singing. I do love how they do seem extra worldly in the context of the film, this Greek chorus. It's like being in Riddle's diary. They can't see them or hear them, but they will sing along with them. And they're not affected by the environment. You notice it's raining throughout this whole opening number, and they're never wet. They don't get wet. Not at I, all. I, I could. I was. I was pausing it, Carrie. <laughs> I was pausing it, trying to find a raindrop on them, and it's all live, too. <laughs> yeah. So like, it's amazing. opening number in the basement of Mr. Mushnick's floral shop. This is where we first meet Seymour Krellborn. What a little guy. (laughs) A short king. We are talking neurodivergence. For real. Absolutely. Seymour is very awkward, very nervous, but he loves plants. Yeah, he likes plants. That's his thing. So many of us can relate. You know what? His, His life... Has not been good. Mm-mm. He's he's a, he's a plant nerd. He was an orphan. Yeah. He, he 
His abuser is his boss. That's true. You know what I mean? Oh my God, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Because Mr. Mushnick like plucked him out of a home for boys. Mr. Mushnick raised him. And has like basically been exploiting him for his labor since he was like a, a little babe. Get bent, Mushnick. Yeah, get bent, Mushnick. I'm not sorry about what happens. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> <laughs> Seymour, pretty much the only thing in the world he loves is plants, except for one other thing. Audrey One. Audrey One. Oh, (laughs) no. We are not calling her Audrey One. All right, all right. Just Audrey. Audrey is the beautiful woman who lives across the street. In a shitty apartment. In a shitty apartment. And yeah, Audrey lives across the street from the floral shop, and she works in the shop with Mushnick and Seymour. And she's very stylish, very soft-spoken. She could balance cocktails on that collarbone. She really could. I swear to God. She's currently dating a dentist who beats up on her. So upsetting. I know. So upsetting. And, like, she's also very fond of Seymour. And, like, I imagine Seymour makes her day-to-day so much better. We know it makes Seymour's day-to-day so much better, her working there. (laughs) He's in love with her. Hi, Audrey. You look radiant today. Set new eye makeup? I'll help him clean it up before any of the customers get here. That should give you plenty of time. Let's talk about setting real quick here. This place, it, it, this setting is New York City, but a place in New York City called Skid Row, Palsa. The original <laughs> film takes place in Los Angeles in a place called Skid Row. You're right. It's a very famous part of Los Angeles because literally people are allowed to just suffer and die there and no one cares. It's horrible. The, the, it's the biggest homeless population in the United States. I'm going to drop some history links about Skid Row in the related media because that's just something we don't talk enough about in this movie. Exactly. But what they've done is they've moved the setting from California to New York, but they're still calling it Skid Row? Yes. I don't know. Anyway, it's a complete shithole, and they do a really good job of making it look like a shithole. Everything's greasy and wet and, and brown and, and like dirty. Yeah. Oh, it's bad. Now we get this number called Skid Row. The old woman is Tony nominated singer Bertice Reading. <gasps> live on set. She did? Yes. Oh, it's beautiful. It is. There is a lot of live singing in this, isn't there? Absolutely. More than you'd think. It was Bertice's final film appearance before her death. Oh, Bertice. R.I.P. R.I.P. You filled that number with soul at the very beginning. Absolutely. I love it. And I love this song. Downtown. Where the camps don't stop. Downtown. Where the food is slapped. The 
takeaway from this song is definitely that it sucks to be poor in Manhattan. <laughs> like that. <laughs> it sucks to be poor anywhere, but especially in Manhattan. Like, like you said, everything's dirty, everything's hopeless, and we're just hearing from a bunch of people who live here about how shitty it is. And how they're probably going to die there. Right. And how they'd give anything, anything to get out. Audrey Solo. Downtown. Her life is really shit. I know, I know. She has no self-image. I know. She has absolutely 0% self-image. And then we get Seymour Solo talking about his life, how Mushnick raised him from nothing, and he's horribly abused by him. Indeed. And like, oh my god, the part where he is wandering towards the chain link fence. Oh no. And then all Not the, with all the alley people. Yeah, all the people in the alley start climbing up the fence to get to him. Cause I constantly pray I'll get out of here. Won't somebody say I'll get out of here? Someone give me my shot or I'll rot here. Downtown, oh, and that will get out of here. Downtown, start climbing uphill and get out of here. It's so heart wrenching. I would just like to point this out right here, right now. What? This will become more pertinent once we get to talking about the ending. Oh, okay. But like, most of this show is preparing you for a disaster. It really is. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like a grand foray into pandemonium. Like, literally this Greek chorus and all these people are trying to tell you with every single number that this will not end well. It's like the opening to a Lemony Snicket novel. (laughs) Don't read this book! (laughs) Don't listen to this album. (laughs) We get this sequence where it's imparted upon us that Mushnick's floral shop does not do a lot of business. Literally me during Omicron at work. (laughs) All right! Literally standing around doing nothing. It's mostly just Mushnick, Audrey, and Seymour sitting around looking bored. And then, like, Audrey makes this darling suggestion that Seymour put his new plant in the front window in order to attract customers. So it's Audrey's fault. She brought it into the narrative. (laughs) It is not Audrey's fault. (laughs) Absolutely not. So Seymour goes and grabs this fun-looking new plant that he got last week. It's in a Maxwell House coffee tin. Our house. It's in the the middle middle of of our our house. house. This plant (laughs) is in the middle of our house. Anyway, yeah, he's been futzing with this new plant. He doesn't know what kind it is. It's so cute. It looks like a little Venus flytrap. It does. Uh, And, like, Seymour's having trouble getting it to grow. And, like, he even has a name for it. What kind of a weirdo plant is that, Seymour? I don't know. I think it's some kind of flytrap, but I haven't been able to identify it in any of my books. I gave it my own name, though. I call it an Audrey too. After me? I hope you don't mind. The Dolores Madrigal squeak that Audrey does when she learns it's named after her. It is too soon for you to be using that. (laughs) Dolores Madrigal squeak. (laughs) Dolores Madrigal. It's probably the nicest thing that's ever happened to Audrey, the poor thing. I know. It makes me so sad. And like, you guessed it. Seconds after he puts it in that window, 
Customers start rolling in. Christopher Guest, his character's <laughs> name is the first customer. Yes. And he's like, that plan in the window, wherever did you get it? And Seymour tells him. Well, you remember that total eclipse of the sun about a week ago? Daddy. I was walking in the wholesale flower district that day. Daddy. And I passed by this place where this old Chinese man. He sometimes sells me weird and exotic cuttings. Because he knows, you see, that well, strange plants are my hobby. This takes us into Dadu. <laughs> Dadu. It's a little racist, but we'll get on with it. Carrie Ann says she doesn't like the trope of things coming from magical Eastern people. Uh, yeah, gremlins, <laughs> I'm looking at you too. Not the magic Asian people. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Stop that. Please stop doing that. Seymour goes into this long explanation about how he bought the plant from a Chinese man in the wholesale district. During and, a total eclipse of the sun. Yeah, there was like he was in the market and this total eclipse happened, and then all of a sudden the plant was just there. Dadu. <laughs> it dadooed down to earth. <laughs> it dadooed out of the sky. Dadu. <laughs> And when the light came back, this weird plant was just sitting there. Just, you know, stuck in uh, among the zinnias. I could have sworn it hadn't been there before. But the old Chinese man sold it to me anyways. For a dollar ninety-five. And so yeah, folks, now there is just this weird plant that appear out of nowhere. I love these fucking songs, dude. <laughs> They're so much fun. They're oh fun to sing. They are. Carrie Ann and I will drive around and <laughs> sing these songs at the top of our lungs. Dadu. <laughs> so Audrey, too, brings in a rash of new business. Mushniks is swamped. But at the end of the day, the plant is starting to droop again. And Mushnik practically threatens Seymour to get it healthy again. I know. It's so awful. So much is riding on this plant, living and thriving. So Seymour takes Audrey 2 back down to his room in the basement, and he starts singing about how frustrated he is that he can't make this plant thrive. Me too. <laughs> me too, buddy. Me in the mirror. <laughs> oh my god! Grow for me, Rossi. Come on. <laughs> Gotta do a little bit of growth. Just a little bit. A smidge. This takes us into grow for me. I've given you sunshine. I've given you dirt. You've given me nothing but heartache and hurt. I'm begging you sweetly. I'm down on my knees. Oh, please. Grow for me. Honestly, I think about this song every time I go to water the plants. Every single time. I kill plants so easily. Well, because you try to <laughs> You try to raise plants in winter. Inside! Uh, yeah! What? Yeah! <laughs> But it turns out the reason he can't make this plant thrive is because it subsists on something very specific. Very specific. <laughs> Ross, you want to tell the uh, ladies and ladies at home what the plant eats? I've tried you with levels of moisture from desert to mud. I've given you grow lights and mineral supplements. What do you want from me? What? Ow! Damn roses. Damn thorns.
when we have to pause the song so that the plant can perk up and start making kissy noises? Yeah, those sucky sounds. When he's sucking on his finger, the plant starts imitating it. I know. And starts a moving. It smells blood. When we were watching this and Hales <laughs> goes, I would just kiss it. <laughs> like you would just kiss it, right? <laughs> it's going. This pod is hungry for his blood. <laughs> and literally he starts testing it. He holds his dry finger to the plant and it literally turns its head away. <laughs> he holds his bloody finger to it and it's trying to snap at it. And he finally just squeezes a couple of drops into its mouth. I love how nervous he sounds as he's singing. I've given you sunlight. I've given you rain. Looks like you're not happy. Lest I open a vein. I'll give you a few drops. If that'll appease. He squeezes that blood into that plant's mouth, and it goes, mmm. And he literally ha- is looking at it with wide eyes, like, did that just fucking happen? Did this plant just eat my blood? And then, without skipping a beat, he goes, oh, please. Oh, 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 please. Grow for me. He's going up the stairs, and in his mind, he's still singing, but he's like, that did not just happen. That did not just happen. The plant doesn't like blood. That did not just happen. <laughs> but here's the thing. The plant does grow. We cut to this radio station where WSKID Skid Row Radio is hosted. I'm sorry. <laughs> we got to talk about some people waiting to be on, what's his show called? Wink Wilkinson's Weird People. And they're weird, all right. <laughs> Who do you who do you want to start with? The little person with the gigantic nun doll playing the saxophone. The woman with the box that's locked in chains. <laughs> What's in the box, Miriam? <laughs> and then the guy who's literally in that flying contraption <laughs> that is reminiscent of the guy who built that same flying contraption and tried to jump off the Eiffel Tower and killed himself. You're right. These people. Okay, the plant has gotten much bigger. It has. He's sitting there waiting to go on Wink Wilkinson. And this very sexy aide comes by with a red skirt on and a nice ass. He tries to bite that woman's bottom. Because it could be a bottom, it could be blood, it could be both. And when I say he, I do mean the plant, not Seymour. See, you're gendering the plant, too. (laughs) I am gendering the plant. I'm sorry. Anyway, so he goes into that studio, and who's playing Wink Wilkinson, Ross? John Candy. Polka, polka, polka. No? The polka king of the Midwest. The polka king of the Midwest. <laughs> okay, our first guest today is a young man you probably read about in the newspapers. A young man by the name of um, Seymour Krillborn, is that correct? Who has discovered a new breed of plant life hitherto unknown on this planet. Let me play you down to your seat, Seymour. And, like, this bit really comes to nothing. It's just John Candy acting silly. Indeed. What's important is that now the floral shop is now getting more publicity because Seymour's been on the radio. Like, Mushnick's, like, excited to hear his own shop's name on the radio for one. Yeah. Him and Audrey are both listening to it. Audrey is wearing this dress. Moo! <laughs> 
That's what I have. I have moo baby. I have somewhere there's a cow that is very cold. <laughs> you know what? It's a look. It is a look. She's I love work, her. She is owning it. She is making it work. <laughs> and like she leaves the shop and the Greek chorus is outside dressed as the street urchins. And they're telling her she needs to dump this abusive boyfriend of hers because they're it? literally like dump your sadist dentist person and get with Seymour. Right? Yeah. And like here's the thing. She doesn't think she's deserving of a man like Seymour. So she goes and locks herself in her shithole apartment. And this takes us into somewhere that's green. This song that's her fantasizing about what a life with Seymour would look like. This is Ellen Green. This I, is peak Ellen Green this for is me. Peak Ellen Green. It's it's my favorite it's my it's my favorite song of hers. In the show. It's like her only song by herself. I think she gives such an emotional performance, even though she's just, the the whole time she's singing, she's just sitting there staring blankly. But like, we get all the images of what her life would be like with Seymour, like a, like a picture out of Better Homes and Gardens magazine. He rakes and trims the grass. He loves to mow and weed. Look like Betty Crocker, and I look like Donna Reed. It's what a lot of women wanted in those days. I know. Like, women could have done more, like they, they are capable of more in 1960 than they were led to believe, but no. a lot of women just wanted a nice home and a nice husband and a nice life. I can't believe they put an Audrey wig on that child. <laughs> I know. When they, the, they're fictional the kids. Her, the his and hers fictional kids. <laughs> Like, this song is pretty, but it also makes me very sad. Yeah, because she doesn't think she actually deserves any of it. Yeah. It's just a dream to her. She just wants to be treated with kindness and respect and doesn't believe she deserves a bit of it. And yet she's being beaten daily by her evil, sadistic dentist boyfriend. It's horrible. It's literally so horrible. She just wants to live a nice, pine soul scented homes and gardens and magazine life with him, and it's darling! And sell her flowers. Right? Yeah. My next note is, can we glaze over some fun now? Absolutely not! <laughs> Hit it, ladies! Some fun now! Hot damn! Ain't he having some fun now? Yes, ma'am! He's a-having some fun now! Oh, boy! I love this so much. <laughs> Keep it playing. Do not stop it while I'm talking. Okay. It's like a nice little, you know, okay, how's it? We're checking in. How's everybody doing so far? They're like, this is a dumpster fire, but isn't it fun? This is just a montage. <laughs> They're just dancing on the top of a building. And I'm like, yes, baby. <laughs> Get it. Oh my God. And like the whole, all the images of... Fucking poor Seymour with his head in his hand, letting the plant suck on one of his fingers. He's like having to alternate fingers to prick to feed this plant his blood. It's getting hard for him to make it through the day. I know. Because of blood loss. <laughs> oh, poor thing. Because he keeps feeding this plant blood to make it bigger because <laughs> it's his only ticket to anything worth living. That next scene <laughs> where he's just standing stoic against the fucking flower shop wall. <laughs> and Mushnick's like, Seymour! And he has to like, he looks in the opposite direction like, <laughs> someone say my name. Oh. <laughs> Son, you need a sandwich and a nap. And he's like, Seymour, you forgot an order. Chip chop. And like, I love it when he goes in the back to talk to Audrey. And Audrey's like, listen, Seymour, 
you suffer from poor self-image. And I'm like, really, honey? Hey, sometimes people can't acknowledge their own shit, but are very good at recognizing it in others. You know, and she, like this, this exchange in particular, I don't know why I think it's so raw. It's a musical, but like... <laughs> Why don't you go out and, and do something nice for yourself, like uh, buy some new clothes? Oh, I'm a very bad shopper, Audrey. I don't have good tastes like you. Oh. Well, I could help you pick things out. You could? Sure. She offers to dress him! I know, it's so cute. And it's like, I, I, she, is, she has no energy. To give, and yet she's still willing to give it. That's so beautiful. Heart of gold, that Audrey. The way she says sure is so dear. I know it's annoying for some. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And she just, oh, it's so darling. And I, I also love Mushnick because Seymour gets back to his knitting, and Mushnick comes in, and listen, for all his faults, Mushnick still doesn't think she should be with that rotten boy. Yes, exactly. I, I did, I did want to mention something about that because, like, it's like he still cares about her. Yeah. Even if it's like so, even if it's like the least effort possible. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, Audrey, he's not a good, clean kind of boy. He's a professional. What kind of a professional drives a motorcycle and wears a black leather jacket? Enter Steve Martin as Oren Scravello, DDS. When I was younger, just a bad kid, my mama noticed funny things I did. Like shooting puppies with a BB gun. I'd poison guppies when I was done. He is a dentist by trade and a sadist by passion. Listen, folks, as someone who has been employed by dentists. I knew you were going to bring this I've up. I've said this before many <laughs> times on the show. Dentists are just fucking weird people. Hashtag not all dentists. They want to get in your mouth and play with your teeth and rearrange <laughs> your nerves and cause you pain and give you relief. They want to play God with your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that those words just came out of my mouth. But they're so particular. They have the weirdest little quirks. <laughs> Their needs are weird. <laughs> yep, yep. When I was asked to go to the Speedway gas station to buy him a tornado thing out of the heater. <laughs> you know, where they're like rolling in there. Like the hot dogs? Like hot dogs, <laughs> except they're not. They're like taquitos, but like fries. <laughs> it's called a tornado. Anyway. You got sent out of the office by a dentist to get him a gas station taquito? Yes. Oh my God. Yes, I did. But this one's extra weird, because not only is he a horrible abuser, but he's, you know, a sadomasochist. Now listen, sadomasochism, like, as an actual kink, is built on trust and aftercare and communication. That's not what's happening here. Scrivello is actually out to cause people pain. He wants to cause pain, and he likes it when they don't enjoy it. He likes to make people miserable. That's what's important to take away from this. Here he is, folks, the leader of the flat. Watch him suck up that gas. Oh, my God. He is a dentist, and he'll never ever be Oh, I can't teeth that by the marquee facade. Oh, that hurts. Wait, I'm not. Oh, uh, shut up. Open wide. Here I come. I'm your dentist. And I enjoy the career that I picked. I'm your dentist. Just Steve Martin singing about how he wants to cause people pain. Who wants their teeth done by the marquee facade? Oh, I love that lyric! That's a great 
the Marquis de Sade, man. He was weird, <laughs> just like this guy. Pain is not the only thing he needs to get him off. Oh, that's right. He is addicted to his own drugs. Nitrous oxide. Indeed. The giggle gas they give you before they put you down for like a big operation. Oh, he's giddy for giggling gas. <laughs> he really is. Like, he literally... He, 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 t- he has like an apparatus <laughs> that will allow him to do it on the go. That's right. That's right. You but- know, like in Big Mouth? When they have orgasm in a can or whatever it is. Stop. Like, you just huff it and you, like, have an orgasm. Oh, no. Basically what he's doing. (laughs) Orgasm in a can. I forget what it's actually called. Later that night, Oren shows up on the street outside Mushnik's to pick Audrey up for a date. No, 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 no. No. Oh, no? He literally is catapulted into the shot on his motorcycle. Like he was evil Knievel. Like he's fucking Rubius Hagrid falling out of the sky. (laughs) Oh my God. That cut is so funny because there's like half no noise with it. Uh You know what I mean? It's just like, boop, there it is. (laughs) He's here, the wizard of pain. I know you. Sure, I saw you on the news. I even know your name. Now let's see, it's uh, Cecil. No, 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 it's... uh, Cedric. No. Give me a chance. It's, uh, <clears throat> Simon? It's Somebody talking to you? Oh, no. Excuse me. Excuse me what? Excuse me, doctor. But here's the thing. We have to stop laughing because he really is abusing her. But no, it's, it's, it's absolutely toxic masculinity forming itself here. Like, Audrey is trying to introduce Oren to Seymour, and like... She doesn't say DDS at the end of his name, and he almost hits her. Yeah! Oren Scrifello. (gasps) DDS. Exactly! She's so afraid of him. I know. And she thinks she deserves this. She thinks she deserves to be with him. God bless her. Because he makes a lot of money, and he... I'm guessing buys her things? I don't know. When you have very poor self-image like this, you'll be amazed at what you'll tolerate. Yeah, I know. You know, and so for people looking for answers in that, there's not a clear-cut answer to it. It's very deep, and people like this do need help. Yeah. He takes off with her on the back of his motorcycle, and Seymour goes into the shop to sulk. And, like, I love this because, like, he's he just hates his life so much. He hates that the girl he loves is in the arms of this horrible monster. But you know what we've kind of forgotten to mention? The plant. Oh, my God. The plant has gotten huge. Well, it's not as big as it's going to get, but it's about the size of a wood chipper. I, I don't know why. <laughs> is that the scale? I don't oh. know why that was my first frame of reference, but I literally wrote, it's the size of a wood chipper. Like, it's big, but, like, it's huge. Huge. Oh Guys, God. let's talk about it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have some math for you. Or, or some numbers, I should say. The total construction of all phases of Audrey 2's growth totaled 15,000 hand-painted leaves, 2,000 feet of vines, and 11 miles, that's right, I said miles, of cable. They don't do it like Oz anymore. I know! That's so insane, dude. When I read the thing about how there's not a single scene, there's only one scene in this entire film where that plan is on a green screen. I know! It's all live action. There could be as many as 50 professionals 
puppeting this thing at any given time. And through the magic of cinematography, it looks like it's talking as fluid as fluid can be. Yeah. Like it's talking fast, like Levi Stubbs. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, so let's get into it, shall we? Picture it. The plant starts to droop again, and Seymour despairs. He's like, no, no, I don't have any more blood, please. (laughs) Come on, I haven't got much left. Just give me a few days to heal, okay? Then we'll start again on the left hand and... Feed me. I beg your pardon? Feed me. Tui, you talked. You you open your trap, you you sing and you sing. Feed me, Crabhorn, feed me now. Oh, oh my God. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Oh my God. And it's just, and he just has to accept it. It's all, life has already gotten so goddamn weird for him. (laughs) He's like, I can't. I'm starving. Levi Stubbs has arrived as the voice of Audrey 2. Oh my God. This takes us into feed me or get it. In parentheses. Get it, in parentheses, yes. (laughs) I love that. Does it have to be human? Does it have to be mine? Feed me! Where am I supposed to get it? Feed me, Seymour. Feed me all night long. (laughs) That's right, boy! This plant is telling Seymour, I need you to get me some fresh blood. Does it have to be mine? (laughs) Yeah, it's really stressful. This plant wants Seymour to kill people for it to eat. And, like, it's leveraging the fame and fortune he can bring Seymour. There's some symbolism happening here, I think. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite thing is when the plant grabs a hold of him, pulls him to him, and goes, Does this look inanimate to you, punk? (laughs) If I can talk and I can move, who's to say I can't do anything I want? I should have break every time. Look, you're a plant. An inanimate object. Does this look inanimate to you, punk? If I can talk and I can move, who's to say I can't do anything I want? And, you know, anyway, Seymour, a lot of folks deserve to die. Oh, my God. Listen. (laughs) I'm not at all putting myself in this plant's league. I'm not joining its alliance. (laughs) I do not condone the plant. (laughs) But does not have an invalid point. (laughs) As in, there's a list of people you'd like to feed to this plant. Depends on how you look at humanity. (laughs) Everyone deserves a good life and to be protected and cared for. But they also shouldn't be assholes. There are some evil people out there that I do believe the world would be better if they were not alive walking around. <laughs> oh, no. Woo, woo, if you want to be profound, if you really got to justify, take a breath and look around. A lot of folks deserve to die. Wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not a very nice thing to say. But it's true, isn't it? No. I don't know anyone who deserves to get chopped up and fed to a hungry plant. Mm, show you do. He literally takes him by the shoulder and makes him look out the window while Oren Scrivello, DDS, is calling Audrey a scatterbrain for falling off the back of his motorcycle. Mm, this ramps up the rage for Seymour. Tell us about it, Audrey. I love these last verses of the song where Seymour and Audrey, too, are literally sing-screaming in each other's faces. The guy sure looks like plant food to me. The guy sure looks like plant food to me. The guy sure looks like plant food to me. So nasty, treating her rough yeah. Smacking her around and always talking so tough You need blood and he's got more than enough I need 
Seymour decides he's going to go to Oren's office and, and kill him. Mur- murder him for plant food. Where did he get the gun? He has a little he has a little pocket revolver or whatever. <laughs> a pocket revolver. I don't know. I don't know firearms. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we first get a good look at Miriam Margulies as the dental assistant because she's like trying to leave and there's this guy in the waiting room who is just giddy to be at the dentist. Literally sitting, literally standing in the chair. <laughs> Literally crouched on his feet in this chair, giddy, ready to go. It's fucking Bill Murray. Bill Murray is here. The character's name is Arthur Denton. (laughs) Normally, I wouldn't give a scene this inconsequential so much airtime, but we have got to talk about this dynamic. I wanted, you know what, guys? Long episode. Sorry. (laughs) I wanted to skate over this, but I just can't. This Arthur Denton character is based off a character from the original film. His name's Wilberforce, and he's played by Jack Nicholson. Yes. So Bill Murray gets to emulate the spirit of Jack Nicholson being a masochist. He loves going to the dentist. And you know who that doesn't make things fun for? Oren. (laughs) Because here's the thing. Oren only likes the sadism if people don't enjoy the pain. Yeah. And Arthur loves the pain. That girl who got her headgear on, when she comes out, he's literally like, tell me everything. (laughs) Was it as good for you as it was for him? Stop! And I'm like, this is a child, you sicko. And second of all, the girl playing the little girl is Jim Henson's daughter. Heather Henson. The one that's going, ah, ah, ah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor dear. I know. Guess whose turn it is. It's Arthur's turn. <laughs> he goes in, sits down in the chair. He's insisting that he have a root canal. One of the most painful operations you can get at the dentist. And guess what? He doesn't need it. He doesn't need <laughs> he it. He doesn't need it. I think I need a nice, slow root canal. Oh my god. And here's the thing. The yelling he does when Oren puts the tools in his mouth. The way he's fainting and getting excited over all of the horrible, torturistic tools. Like, no kink shaming on this podcast. <laughs> but the audio is fabulous. <laughs> he's literally giving the story of why he's like this because he went to the dentist once and had a bad experience but he got a candy bar at the end <laughs> I'm gonna get a candy, candy bar, bar candy bar oh. oh no and like I love the cuts of Seymour waiting in the waiting room and he can just hear in the distance oh I'm gonna get a candy bar I'm gonna get a candy bar ah. oh. 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 Oren's getting frustrated because nothing is working on this guy because he loves it. (laughs) He takes out a rusty drill that he has to battle. (laughs) Yeah, it's an old instrument. And takes to his mouth and Bill Murray embraces him closer. (laughs) He's going, oh, Oh, and I'm, <laughs> that's where Oren's had it. Oh, Throws man. The, when he calls that, when he calls him a sicko <laughs> after taking him to the door. People in glass houses, Oren. <laughs> like, he's got to be really sick for you, Oren. Like, so now he's thrown Arthur out and he's got blue balls. Yeah. So he takes Seymour and puts him in the chair. Okay. He's ramping up to terrify Seymour in the chair. I love that. Seymour keeps taking the gun out of his pocket and putting it back. He's like, do I do it now? He's he's worried about how to do the murder correctly. Yeah. And I mean, I would be too if I was a first time murderer, you know? Yeah. 
And is this where you want to talk more about Oren's little uh, gas mask apparatus? I don't like the way it's got the two inflatable things. He looks like an animal. He does. I don't like it. He's got this whole backpack deal, like you said, that allows him to strap two tanks of nitrous oxide to his back. It's like a booze hat, but like for nitrous oxide. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, and it just filters into his face. And like he literally can't even hold the drill right because this apparatus he's got on is not... He made it. It's not made for anybody like that. Exactly. This is to get high, and it's there's it's taking too much of an effect on him, and then he breaks it trying to get it off of himself. Oh my god, he busts the valve, and he can't get it off. And he suffocates to death on it. Oh yeah, it's ju- the mask is just filling his whole body up with nitrous oxide, and it's fatal. The last the words he says, he looks at Seymour and he goes... What'd I ever do to you? Nothing. It's what you did to her. Her who? Oh. Her. Dead. Oh my god. It's so upsetting. It really is. (laughs) But also I'm not upset. And Seymour's like, what the fuck, really? He doesn't have to kill anybody. He didn't have to kill him, but you know what he is going to do? Catch a tampering with a corpse charge, because... (laughs) (laughs) I think it's comical that we're supposed to believe that that prop is a body. (laughs) It's so rigid. And that he probably (laughs) dragged it home with him on the subway? Exactly. He's dragging it down the subway stairs! I know. (laughs) And then Seymour chops up Scrivello's body and gives it to the plant. It's a smorgasbord, all while being superimposed in big shadow on the side of a building. It's very dramatic. And guess who witnesses it? Mr. Mushnik. Like, he's coming home, he's back to the shop to check on something, and he sees the shadow of Seymour chopping Orin into pieces. Seymour wraps Scrivello's body parts in newspaper, all bloodied up, like a nice hors d'oeuvre. It's a party when he's feeding it to Audrey, too, with the music in the background. And the- oh, God. <laughs> They've done such a good job on this puppet that I cannot look it in the mouth. This is where you can really see the intricacy of the design of this thing. I cannot believe this thing has a tongue. Its gaping mouth is open. Its independently motor-controlled tongue is flapping as it's laughing. Purple and glistening, and I hate it. Oh, my God. Seymour is haunted by this. I mean, I would be too. He's not sleeping. He can't believe what he's done. He didn't kill the guy, but he did chop up his flesh and feed it to a hungry plant. And like the next day, he sees Audrey out in the street answering questions from the cops about Oren's disappearance. Uh And he goes out on the stoop to comfort her. (laughs) I love Seymour. He's like, So what if something bad did happen to him? He was a lousy grub who bruised you up. Yeah. And here's the thing. Audrey agrees. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like I would feel liberated. I think she also feels bad that she feels good. Yeah, I get that. Audrey, that's all behind you now. You got nothing to be ashamed of. You're a very nice person. I always knew you were. Underneath the bruises and the handcuffs, you know what I saw? girl I respected. I still do. 
this takes us into the love song, Suddenly Seymour. This is the happy Valentine's Day part of it, I guess. <laughs> I love how we did this for Valentine's Day, but it has very little to do with love. It's a love story. Sure. Everything that happens is because of Audrey. It is a love story. It's a love story about Audrey 2 and their carnage. No! That's the love story that's happening right here. Suddenly I love Ellen Green. What's going on with the singing? Because <laughs> she sings these very sweet verses and very restrained verses, but then she is just really getting it in the last parts of the song, like really belting it. Like and in I'm her like, chest Audrey, where's the... Because she talks so meek and so high-pitched and quiet. Then she's like belting, and I'm like... But then I was like, wait, Ross, this is the real Audrey coming through. Oh, yeah. This is her getting to feel herself in this moment. Oh, I love it. This is her real light. And I'm like, honey, Ellen, you do it. You I let mean, us see who Audrey One really is. That incredible crane shot where Seymour runs up the stairs to meet her on that destroyed landing. Because <laughs> they're, like, they're singing in like this defunct courtyard thing in an apartment building. Yeah. And I was, I, when we were watching it, I said, if I lived in this building, I would open up my window and go, shut the fuck Oh. <laughs> with sweet and kiss with the sun going down behind them. I know. It's a great number. It is. Carrie thinks about her and Gavin when she thinks about this song. I do. Isn't it nice? Gavin's my Seymour. He is. He is. This is where Mushnick confront Seymour about chopping up Oren's body in the basement because like <laughs> he's gone down into the basement to think about what his life with Audrey might look like and Mushnik's just down there <laughs> waiting for him I'm talking blood Crowborn. I'm talking under my own roof an axe murder he's got your number now I saw everything he knows just what you've done Everything you did to a boyfriend. You've got no place to hide. I saw you chopping. You've got nowhere to run. He's I'm talking blood, Krellborn. Yeah. I saw you chopping. <laughs> it's true. I chopped him up, but I didn't kill him. He knows your life apart. Talk to the police. I think it's supper time. <laughs> come on, come on. Think about all those offers. Come on, come on. Your future with Audrey. Think about all those offers. <laughs> He's like, really think about it here. He's like, I'm hungry. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, feed your abusive boss to me. Because like Mushnik leads him by gunpoint up into the main shop and is like going to march him out into the street because he's taking him to the cops, right? Yeah. And I'm like, wow, you abused this kid his entire life and now you're just going to throw him to the law enforcement? Yeah, because on the one hand, it's like, well, is he doing this because it's right? No, 
Mushnik is doing this because he wants control of the plant. And the murder happened in his place. Yeah, for real. <laughs> he's not going down for any of this. <laughs> and like he's leading him to the door and I love that shot and it goes out into the street and the Greek chorus comes out of the alley. The Greek chorus outfits in this number are choice. <laughs> so haunting but i'm still like vibing yeah you, <laughs> you know what i they're mean they're wearing those purple sequin gowns and the purple gloves and those shots of their hands just going come on come on oh my god I know, it's like the plant the plant is calling to you the plant is saying come on seymour <laughs> and mushnik gets soft there at the end and he's like listen I'll forget about the whole thing we don't have to tell the police you leave me with the plant and I'll give you a one way ticket out of town just stay out of here for like 40 years and let me keep the plant <laughs> he's you like you gotta show me how to take care of it though yeah and Seymour's like really okay what do I have to do just feed it just feed it what <laughs> <laughs> and he's backing him up Minerals? Yes. Thursdays, you should give it water. And the plant's mouth is slowly opening. Oh, it's so tense. But whatever you do. Yes. Whatever you do. And Mushnik turns around and sees the plant and leans into its open mouth. (laughs) Sir? I I hate watching him get eaten. Really? Like I I I don't I either look away or I fast forward through it. Because it looks so real. It looks so real. That puppet swallows Vincent Gardenia. <laughs> so so Mushnik's just gone and no one's asking any questions. No, yeah. After Mushnik's death. <laughs> your neighborhood dentist and neighborhood florist are both gone and no one's asking any questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And like, this is where we get the meek shall inherit. Yeah, which is a song I wanted to glaze over because it's mostly montage. Seymour is making the cover of every publication in America for this wild giant plant. Because this plant is breaking records. Now that he's swallowed Mushnik, He's enormous. Yeah. This is like the plant's final form. Yeah, almost. He he now fills the room. Yeah. He literally as tall as the ceiling. Yeah, it is ridiculous. Seymour is going to be on the covers of magazines. He's getting his own TV show. Yeah, the Seymour Krellborn Hour or whatever the hell it's called. And I just, I'm sorry, I just love this little tune. You know the meek are gonna get what's coming to them. <laughs> I love it. The success is getting to Seymour. Literally crowd, literally, literally having to fight his way through a crowd to get into the shop. I know. And then when he finally does, there's a TV crew in there. <laughs> Can I get one second of peace? And Audrey 1's all excited. And Audrey 2's all dressed up. 
And the TV presenter's like, Seymour Krelborn, say hello to every house in America. <laughs> and he's just fighting inside to be like, I'm a murderer. Yeah. You know, like. So he goes out into the alley. He's spiraling. He can't let this plant die because then he'll lose Audrey, right? Yeah. But he can't take the guilt. Audrey one follows him. She goes out into the alley and she says to him, I wish you were enjoying your success. She wants good things for him. It's so sweet. And he's like, listen, Audrey, I'm a murderer. Oh, no. No, he's not a murderer. He's not a murderer. He's just a corpse defiler? A little bit. I don't know how you classify that crime. He realizes that if he gets the money from these television people, he can afford to run away with Audrey. Mm-hmm. And like they immediately start making plans. Yeah. He tells her, go pack a bag. We're going to get married at City Hall. We're going to have a nice life. If you'll have me, Audrey, will you have me? Oh, what do you mean? Marry me, Audrey. Oh, Seymour, this is so sudden. Well, will you? Sure. Again, the sure. <laughs> like it's the earnestness. I love it so much. And so she goes running back across the street. She starts preparing. And like Audrey too knows his time is running short, right? Yeah. He knows that he knows that Krellborn's getting other ideas. Seymour's literally trying to creep out of the front of the shop with a suitcase in hand. And this is where Audrey too demands once again to be fed. <laughs> Feed me. I will not, so stop asking. Feed me! No, no more. I can't take living with the guilt. Tough titty. You watch your language. Oh, cut the crap. Bring on the meat. <laughs> Tough titty. <laughs> <laughs> like Sheila. Yeah. In Wild Wild Country. Absolutely. How can I say tough titties? <laughs> Seymour says, fine, I'll go out to the butcher and get you a steak. And while he's out, the plant... This is so disturbing. It is disturbing. This is so fucking disturbing. The pl- the plant gets into the register, gets a quarter, and makes a telephone call. I have so many questions. How does the plant know Audrey's home phone number? How does the plant know how to place a telephone call? How does the plant know how to use a payphone? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but he literally, he calls Audrey's house from across the street. Hello. Hey, little lady, hello. Oh, who is this? You're looking cute as can be. Is this someone I know? You're looking mighty sweet. And then her eyes go dead because she looks out her window. Seymour! No, it ain't Seymour. <laughs> it's me. The shot of the plant laughing in the shop window over the phone. <laughs> She's like, oh my god! Me too, bitch! Me too! And because she's a white person, she goes immediately over to the shop. I love I love the plant. She's looking it in the face like, I don't believe this. Believe it, baby! It talks! Believe it, baby. It talks. It's amazing. It's Pete Camp. I love it so much. And I love how she's actually trying to level with the plant. Oh, I know. (laughs) I know. She thinks she can relate to this thing. He asks her to water him. Come on and give me a drink. Which is just just a ruse to get her close. And as soon as she's within reach, he snaps her up 
and tries to eat her. <laughs> oh, relax down, it'll be easy. <laughs> Seymour makes it back at the last second. Oh, yeah. The, her legs are hanging out of Audrey 2's mouth. <laughs> oh, no. And he gets her yanked out of there, yanks the plant's mouth open. And I love that as he's running away with her, the plant's just laughing. Oh, it's so funny. Maniacally. He's like, I almost got her. <laughs> Damn it, Seymour, you got me. And now, this is where the plot of the film officially diverges from the musical. Because if y'all are theater babes, you know how this show ends. If you're a dirty originalist like Mr. Ross McMichael right here. Uh Uh-huh. I just, it's my personal opinion, I like the ending to the stage version. Because what happens in the original ending of Little Shop of Horrors is she is fatally injured by the plant. She's going to die. She's going to bleed out. And for whatever reason, Audrey's just like, hey, you know what? Feed me to the plant. I want to be part of the plant, Seymour. Because then she'll be part of his success. Really? Is this it? Is this the move? And he does it. He feeds her to that plant. And then the plant destroys the shop. And the plant buds, more Audrey 2s show up all over, and the plants take over the world. I love watching the old black and white footage because they didn't, they never colorized it. Yeah. It was never imposed. Yeah, they shot the original musical ending. Yeah. And that ending tested so horribly with audiences that they had to reshoot the whole ending. Guys, it's a 23 minute finale that cost them. Five million dollars. Oh my god. Just to shoot that 23 minute ending. (laughs) I love the shot of Audrey 2 on the crown of the Statue of Liberty, looking (laughs) down, waving, and laughing like Kong. You know what I mean? Yes. I almost want that to be the poster for the show. I know. In the alley, in the movie, with the the cut of the movie that made it into theaters. Yes. Audrey does survive her injuries. Real quick, Jim Belushi was there in the alley (laughs) to give them a nice new opportunity. Literally, like, it's almost like prophesizing the original end of the film. Yeah. So that they can do something about it to stop it. Yeah. And he's like, listen, picture it. Audrey 2's in every household in America. Boy, this thing could go worldwide. Worldwide. Think of it, boy. Audrey 2's everywhere. Why, with the right advertising, this thing could be bigger than hula hoops. Bigger than hula hoops? What do you say, Seymour? Do we have a deal? No! Keep your contract! Nobody's touching that plant, you hear? And Seymour's like, fuck that! (laughs) I know. Absolutely not! Get out of here, Jim Belushi! That's all of our feelings. He goes inside the shop to confront Audrey too. This takes us into Mean Green Mother, which is my favorite song in the whole score. Of course it is. It was one of the first, and I believe only, songs that has been nominated for an Academy Award that contains profanity. You're kidding. No, I'm not. Really? Yes! Uh, I don't care what it takes. Only one of us gets out of here alive. Better wait a minute. Uh, hey. Better hold the phone. Better mind your manners. Better change your tone. Don't you threaten me, son. You got a lot of gold. We're gonna do things my way. Oh, we wanna do things a 
is also where the puppetry reaches a new level because these final stages of Audrey 2, this is where it gets the most complex, so complex that they had to record this song at 16 frames per second. Normally it's 24, but they had to slow it way down and Rick Moranis had to act in slow motion so that the shots and the sound could then be sped up so that we can get these fantastic puppetry movements with this very fast-paced song. And make it look like this very, very large puppet is singing very quickly. Oh, yeah! <laughs> you don't know what It's an amazing song. You don't know what you're messing with. It's just now dawning on Seymour that this plant is from outer space. Yes. It's an alien. It's a fucking alien. A mean green mother from outer space. And he's bad. Big green bad. (laughs) I'm just a mean green mother from outer space and I'm bad. Oh my god, and it starts sprouting little itty bitty Audrey 2 buds yeah. on its vines oh that are god. serving as the backup singers. Here's the other thing about Big Audrey. Big Audrey 2 can use the gun. What the fuck? When the vine picks up the gun, he starts shooting at Seymour? (laughs) Audrey, too, is literally pulling the shop down around him. Yeah. Like, just destroying Mushniks. And, like, the ceiling starts toppling in. Seymour is getting crushed by all of the rubble. And, like, you think he's gonna, you know, be down for the count. And then, all of a sudden... There's this downed wire. Like, I don't know if it's a power line or if it's a main cable to the power. It looks like fiber optics, whatever it is, you know? But, like, it's electrically charged, right? Mm -hmm. And you just see Seymour's hand reach out of the rubble and grab that power line and then connect it to the vine system. (laughs) Audrey 2 is going, and then the little plants are, the little Audrey 2 buds are going, And then explodes into Star Wars screen. (laughs) Oh, shit. Like when the Death Star blows up? Yes. And all the stars spread out? (laughs) That's exactly what happens. Frank Oz, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. And so, yeah, the entire shop falls in when Audrey 2 dies. Seymour emerges from the rubble like a ghost. And to, I would like to think that this is purgatory. <laughs> that, that nothing ever actually happened because it's the false ending. When Audrey 2 pulled down the shop, they all died. And now they just live in Audrey's little somewhere that's green purgatory. But that's not what happened. No, they, we, we get to see Seymour taking his bride to their better homes and gardens little house. It's the same house from her fantasy. Yeah. It's very dear. You can see the shadows behind the tree props in the back. <laughs> It's really funny. 
the camp of it all. Yeah, and this op- this plastic lawn. <laughs> and you know what's funny? Because they had to reshoot the whole ending. I love that I caught this. Tisha Campbell, who plays Chiffon, could not come back to refilm the ending. Yeah. And so when we get that shot of the gr- the Greek chorus in bridesmaids outfits walking across the lawn, it's panning on them so that you don't see Chiffon's face. Yeah. Because it's, it's not Tisha Campbell. Yeah, it's panning down to the level of the lawn. And what do we see, Ross? A little Audrey two bulb in the hedges. And it's sm- it grins. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god! a little bit more about that ending (laughs) about that original ending okay okay the musical number that is written for that last 23 minute finale is don't feed the plant oh really because what the plant does obviously after the end after he eats everybody and mean green mother this and whatever (laughs) he expands his empire i think the jim belushi character comes back into the shop and takes a cutting yeah from the audrey too oh that's right that's what happens and people are buying them in supermarkets and taking them home and the the greek chorus is telling us listen subsequent to the events you have just witnessed unsuspecting trucks from may to california made the acquaintance of a new People just kept getting pressured to feed him blood. Yeah. And people followed in Seymour's footsteps. Same shit that happened to him happened to people all over the country. The plants would promise them wealth and fame and a better life than what they were living. And it fed off of them until they are literal monsters destroying the United States. And the plants achieve world domination. I'm still saying with the three Audrey twos climbing the Statue of Liberty. It's just so awesome. Obviously, it's bad. I'm not for the world domination. I just happen to like the original ending more because I understand why people don't think it's a satisfying ending. I would agree with those 1985 test audiences who thought, what the fuck? <laughs> the plant we wins? We get nothing in the end? <laughs> the plant wins? Oh, my God. But like, that's kind of what the musical's been leading up to. This whole time. Yeah. Like you feed and feed and feed into this thing until finally it consumes you. Exactly. Like, Which is the whole point. And folks, this Valentine's Day, don't do that for your partner. <laughs> don't pour so much of yourself into them that you are consumed. It's about balance, guys. It's all about balance. It's about balance. Stop feeding that plant blood. <laughs> sure. And let make that plant get you dinner. <laughs> You know what I mean? That plant better be paying for a full-scale dinner at Foga de Chow. If you got Audrey 2 dinner last time, they get you dinner this time. <laughs> it's about balance. Oh, my God. I'll never forget the first time I saw the movie. Yeah? In our living room uh-huh. at home. Mm-hmm. And Dad was showing it to us, and he was like, isn't this funny? 
<laughs> and we didn't realize how funny it was. No, not at all. We just were vibing with the music. We were really feeling it. Oh, my God. And, like, Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. I know. It's pure magic. Guys, Alan Menken wrote how many Disneys? Like, Menken won a shit ton of Oscars just for Disney songs. Like, like Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Like, those songs that are just pure, like, earworm fuel. But Alan, Howard, we thank you so much. Yes, we thank you so much for creating this. I feel like they just sat down one day and they watched that bad movie from 1960 and went, you know what would be funny? <laughs> Let's make a musical out of it. For shits. I love that Let's energy. Just do it for shits. If you had to pick a shitty movie that you'd make a musical out of, what would you pick? Oh, Carrie! <laughs> oh, I don't know. What, you don't want to make a bad teacher musical? No, I don't. <laughs> Absolutely, I don't. <laughs> All right, folks. So, in the month of February, we would like to honor Black History Month on this podcast. Even though every month should be Black History Month. As it, yes, absolutely. So, to uh, honor a work of Black literature and a film adaptation of it, even though it's Steven Spielberg doing it, yeah, <laughs> it's still an amazing film. It's one of my favorite films. Oh, man. Just my favorite film. I know how you love brutal filmmaking. I do love brutalist cinema. And so, guys, I hope you had fun this week because next week's going to be rough. Listen, we're going to be honoring Alice Walker and her creation that is The Color Purple. Yeah. There are so many iterations of The Color Purple, such as the novel, the stage musical, or the film adaptation. They're all beautiful. It's just a beautiful story. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful story from a black perspective. Don't forget, folks, please go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. Don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little watch party. And we want you to come over to Patreon and subscribe to us at the $5 Little Onion level. Yeah, the Little Onion tier, absolutely. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Mom. Mom.